0: Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, a recent study reports that although 75% of parents think that providing financial guidance for their kids is part of their duty as parents, only 36% report having the clarity on how to do that. Managing money is rarely covered in schools and as parents, it's difficult to know where to start what should kids be learning about saving spending giving and investing what pitfalls should they be avoiding so that they don't wind up going down a long and windy rabbit hole only to come up short and how can we assure that skills we provide help them to become money smart and anything but spoiled and entitled with so much to buy 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 it can be a challenge to help them to learn how to save and earn and invest and give to others who are less fortunate. Today, we are going to money school with my guest, Chad Willardson. Financial advisor, Chad Willardson is the president of Pacific Capital, a fiduciary wealth advisory firm he founded in 2011 that serves entrepreneurs and families. He is the best-selling author of two books, Stress-Free Money, and now Smart Not Spoiled, The Seven Money Skills Kids Must Master Before Leaving the Nest. Welcome, Chad, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. What a great podcast you've got. This is awesome.
0: Thank you so much. And I'm so excited that you're here. I think you have so much to offer. Before we get into our topic Can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in teaching money skills to kids?
1: What used to get me up in the morning was one of my kids grabbing on my leg at like five in the morning. So (laughs) my wife and I, uh, we've been married 20 years next, or actually this month, and we've got five children ages six to 17. So uh, though my business has always been in the financial world, personal finance, I, I started at Merrill Lynch and then I started my own company. Uh, about 10 years ago, what gets me up in the morning is really promoting as much financial education, financial responsibility, helping people make good money decisions, basically trying to remove the stress and anxiety out of the financial world for people. That's, that's really what gets me excited. And so my first book was Stress-Free Money, like you said. But the second book, it was it was clear to me that parents, families, coaches, mentors, teachers, really don't have many resources to teach kids about money. And we we kind of blame kids for not knowing a lot about money, you know, and so I thought, I've got to put something together from myself and client stories and just do the best I can to give people a great resource to have these conversations. So that's, that's really what got me you know, in this area.
0: Well, it's, it's a really important book. It, it was great to read. It was easy to read um, coming from a child development standpoint, but also from a parent. And I thought that it was really helpful. Now it's important to teach children to save some of their money, give some of their money to charity and spend wisely. And you talk about in your book that kids need to understand the difference between money for now and money for later. So how do we know how much they should be partialing out for each of the those buckets? Is there some kind of hard and fast percentage? Do we let them decide? How do we know?
1: It's a great question. I don't think there's a a rule that necessarily applies to each family or each child. And I think any parent would say their their children are very different. Some kids really love to save and they, they like to see the money build up. And other kids, the second the money touches their hands, they've already got five different things they're ready to spend it on. So I think the principles are more important than the percentages. I would say really talking about the why behind, you know, we're used to these three jars or these three piggy banks of spending and saving and sharing or giving. I think it's important to have the conversations about the purpose of each jar or each category. And I think those conversations of what do, we, what do you want to give money towards? What do you care about? What's important to you? Kids these days are a lot more conscious. And so I don't know that the percentage matters as much. I, I would make sure it's not 1% giving, 1% saving, and 98% spending, but I, I don't really think it it's as important as really the principles and the purpose behind each category. That to me, that's you know a lot more significant.
0: So if a child said to you, why do I need to save, what would be your answer?
1: So my answer would definitely be, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. So in, in the chapter about know your cash flow, I would talk about the importance of money coming in and money going out and things that are important that are going to happen in the future that actually cost money. So we're going to talk about, for my younger kids, we might talking about buying their first used car. You might talk about saving for college or saving for a, a service trip or saving for even something. Like we had a conversation um, before Thanksgiving, my son had a they had a birthday party he was invited to and they were going to an amusement park and he, he wanted to save enough money to go to that. And we talked about some of the options that he had to earn money because he didn't currently have enough money to pay for that ticket. So I think the more... Freedom, accountability, and ownership—we give their, we give these young people. The more they'll step up, and so why do why do we need to save? Well, certainly there's going to be something down the road that they want to do, they want to experience, they want to buy, and that's going to probably take more money than they're going to earn in that particular week or that month. So I might just bring up specific examples of times where we've had to use money to do something a little more expensive than you know going to the movies.
0: Mm, Perfect. So let's play a game of benefits, bust, and blueprint. And I'm going to give you a scenario. And you tell me what the benefits might be to what that child or parent is planning on doing, if okay. any. Okay. You're also going to give me the downfall of the choice, if any. And then tell me the blueprint for the new plan you'd suggest instead. And I, I'm setting it up this way because clearly there's a downfall. So here's the first one. Your child needs money for an awesome new game. He's thinking about borrowing the money from a friend. Give me the benefit of what he's doing, the drawback, and what you would suggest instead.
1: Well, I'll start with the benefit. The benefit is he gets to enjoy it immediately. Okay, there's no wait time to get that thing that he's desiring, that game. The drawbacks are are many. Number one, borrowing from a friend and borrowing money from others to, to do things that are just um, impulsive, let's say, or in the moment, providing pleasure or immediate gratification, that usually leads to remorse or regret afterwards. I would also say he's not learning financial responsibility when he's borrowing for his wants. So that, that video game to him might seem like a need, but it's really a want. And when we borrow for our wants, we set up a pattern of financial misbehavior that can continue on into our late, late 50s, 60s, and 70s. I've seen it. So, um, secondly, he, or thirdly, he may ruin that relationship if he doesn't pay that person back in a timely manner. Um, I've, I've set up situations with our kids where they have borrowed money. So a blueprint could be, you can borrow money, but you're going to pay interest. And we're going to have a little written contract with you, no matter how young you are. If you're borrowing $20, we're going to have a written contract and you're going to pay back more than 20 dollars because borrowing has a cost so the blueprint the solution might be let's find a way for you to actually productively earn it on your own mm-hmm. uh, before you can get that game let's set up a plan to where you can maybe earn some of it and borrow some of it but you're going to have a written contract that's going to teach you about interest rates or about loans Uh, I think that the trouble we get into is the bank of mommy and daddy constantly just giving out money. And and we're not really teaching the kids how to fish. We're just throwing fish at them.
0: Mm -hmm. So well said. So in a contract like that, would it just be very simply written uh, that Ryan is borrowing $20 from dad on such and such date and uh, he will be paying back $20 plus $2 interest, for example?
1: Yes. And I would put dates in there. So I might say is paying back Ryan is paying back $5 a week for four weeks. And at the last payment, he will pay the $2. If there's a late payment, or if it goes beyond the payment date of the four weeks, there's a penalty of another $5. So I want to teach the kids the real world of lending, like credit scores and things like that, where your credibility and accountability as a borrower actually will matter in your future. So if, if you do this deal good and you pay back on time, maybe the interest is 5%. If you don't, the next time I'm going to be a little more hesitant to lend you money, son or daughter. So it's going to be a 10% loan. And that's how the real world works.
0: Okay, excellent. I'm going to give you one more of these. Let's do it. A parent doesn't tend to have money laying around. And wants to get her child a credit card so that when they're with friends they always have money to buy a snack or something small that they may want or need give me the benefit the drawback and what you'd suggest instead
1: oh man that's uh <laughs> i could talk for a long time about that one i uh the benefits i guess is the social acceptance of being able to purchase things with friends at the same time the friends are purchasing mm-hmm. drawbacks once again, that mentality. He says
0: emphatically, by the way. Yes, drawbacks. <laughs> drawbacks.
1: Uh, let, take a seat and get a pencil out. Um, <laughs> it's You're setting up that same kind of consumerism, instant gratification, borrow to fit in, borrow to keep up with the Joneses. It, it's a bad mentality. I, I just don't believe in it. And I've seen the financial ruin come to families, even who have really high incomes, respectively speaking who have that mentality of I have to fit in I have to I have to keep up with the Instagram heroes and celebrities and I've got to spend money to keep up with them because they've they're doing things and I want to be going to those vacation places or buying those toys and things and I think it's just dangerous um credit card for kids not a good idea at all credit card for adults I don't think it's a good idea either um You can build credit for kids by having them be an authorized signer. That's a little trick. Uh, As a parent, you can have your kids added on as an authorized signer to a credit card that you're paying off every month. And that will help build their credit score if they're in their teens. But I don't really support credit cards for just, like I said, wants and consumer needs and things like that. I really think you can go about it differently. Once again, it goes back to earning. If you don't have money laying around, someone does. Someone in your inner circle probably does. So let's find a way to create value, do some jobs, ask for opportunities instead of just once again, trying to get money for nothing and just to spend it on things that you want in the moment.
0: Okay. So there's your blueprint, folks. All right. In your book, you hit home that investing is a really good idea to start when the child is young. And you use examples that showcase the power of compounding using both numbers and a snowball analogy, as well as what happens when you put away $10,000 and don't touch it until you're older. Actually, I asked my son the power of compounding question that you provided and awesome. he answered He answered the same way everybody else does. So can <laughs> you explain some of this idea like what this what what we're talking about right now this whole compounding thing and and this snowball analogy and this putting away ten thousand dollars this so that we can repeat it to children so that they understand what investing is and why it would be such a gift to yourself over time to put money away when you're young sure
1: one of the analogies i also like to use is really planting seeds Mm. and kids have done that before maybe for a class or something where they've actually had to plant a seed and planting seeds is simply the, when you're investing, you're planting seeds for the future. And in the future, let's say you wanna have a big shady tree that has lots of leaves and branches and it provides a lot of shade and comfort in the future. And it may even provide some fruit. That's, that's what you want that tree to grow into eventually. Well, you have to plant seeds early because it takes time to grow that tree. You can't rush the process. So you can't wait until you're 25 or 45 or 65, plant the seeds and then just say, well, I'm just going to put extra water on it and therefore the tree will grow faster. That's not how, that's not how it works. It's You're going to have problems, right? So investing is the same way. You've got to plant the seeds and let that growth happen over time. So the compounding, and maybe this is what you talked with your your child about, but it's, It's incredible to think that if you could put a penny Mm
0: -hmm.
1: away on day one and double it for 30 days, what it would turn into at the end of 30 days. Um, I I overheard that conversation at a breakfast from a 10-year-old kid and his father, and he asked his dad, would you rather have $3 million, which is basically $100,000 a day for 30 days, Mm -hmm. or if I give you a penny and double it every day for 30 days. Mm -hmm. And the dad kind of was half listening. And he said, of course, I'll take the $3 million, but the, the power of compounding actually doubles that penny to earn and grow into $5.4 million at the end of 30 days. And the, the, the idea of compounding and doubling every day is not realistic. That's not the point. It's really to understand, right. That it can grow. So significantly. And mm-hmm. when I had this conversation with my 14 year old son, he was really, you know, he was just really fascinated by the fact that something grows on its own. And when you're older, it can be so much bigger and provide a lot of great things for you. And you won't have to work. If you start investing earlier, you'll have more free time to do what you want to do because you were smart with your money very early.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so important. So, this idea of investing, I feel like. I feel like a lot of parents don't talk about it with their kids. I think some of it is that nobody talked to them about it or they don't they don't necessarily do it or they learned about it really late. So they don't think about it to talk about it with kids. Um, And 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 honestly, I I really didn't know very much about it um, either. My father did invest. My mom did invest. But. And I knew that, but I didn't really know the ins and outs of it or exactly what was happening. I remember my father like looking at the the ticker tape thing that would go (laughs) across the screen. Like I remember that, but I don't remember actually like talking that much about it. So what do I teach my children about the four categories of investing? Like first, what like what would I say about it? And second, what might I do to kind of hit the point home? It seems almost too big to, to talk about.
1: Yeah, it, it's intimidating. And I think your experience is very much like most of our experiences where we, we kind of heard around the topic of finance and investing. And we knew our parents maybe had a retirement account or something, but it wasn't intentionally discussed with us as children. And that's the same situation I find myself in. So mm-hmm. I think when you're talking about investing with kids, you need to tell them, like you said, there are four primary categories that that they can invest in for growth. And, and as kids, you're really talking about investing for growth. So that planting the seed is a very good analogy because they've got a long time frame in front of them. Mm-hmm. So the four primary categories that we see people investing in is stocks, that's a stock market, it's bonds, the bond market, real estate and private businesses. There's a lot more to that, you know. There's, now there's cryptocurrencies and there's other things that are um, you know, newer investments that, that people are really excited about. But those are the four core categories that have been around for over a, you know, over a century. So I think the, the way to talk to kids about it, and maybe this is something you can talk to your two kids about, is just talk about the things that they use or the things that they see. So if they watch a Netflix show or if they if they see a Nike commercial or if they've ever bought something on Amazon or if they've watched a Disney show or they've ever drank Coca-Cola or gone to Costco, you know these are things that they're familiar with and they just see them as products to consume. Mm-hmm. But if you talk about the fact that these are real companies that you can invest in, And what does that mean to be an investor in one of these companies? Well, it means if the company grows in value and earns more money next year, then your investment is gonna grow in value too, and vice versa. You know, so how do you think your children would respond to that kind of conversation?
0: I mean, my kids, I feel like are starting to get interested. And in, I, you know, we, we realized that my daughter often talks about these monster drinks. And so we are like, that would be like a company to talk about yeah. because all of a sudden she has a curiosity about monster drinks. <laughs> right. and, and so maybe, you know, utilizing some of that language around, around one of those or, or some of the other really popular things, just like you were talking about, whether it's Nike or something else. I think that when you boil it down to something that they use and that they know, it it makes it so much more... Accessible to talk about rather than this kind of elusive stock market where it? it's it's just something that they can't conceptualize because they haven't seen that in action, but they certainly know what it means to drink a Coca-Cola.
1: Yes. So I think yeah. it would be helpful. It, it seems big if you just talk, like I don't even love talking about the word stock market necessarily, but I've taught my kids what it means. But really, it's like what businesses do, should we invest in? What businesses do we think are really catching on or maybe going to grow more? Um, you know, and by the way, monster the headquarters is literally two minutes from my office. I'm looking out the window and I can literally <laughs> see the monster headquarters where it was founded. here. I, I will California. let her
0: know. I will so, let her know. Yeah. So
1: our employees definitely have a fridge full of monsters here, but
0: yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, yeah.
0: I think that would be good.
1: Yeah. Like you said, though, I think it's just making it real. So the products that they're using and going to, if they're going to a movie theater, that movie theater is owned by a company that you could probably become an investor in. Mm -hmm. So if the movie theater is empty and people are not going to movies as much, well, what are they doing instead? Maybe they're looking at Google and YouTube and Netflix and things like that. So Mm -hmm. getting them interested And helping them maybe even try to make investment choices in their younger years, have them make small mistakes in an investment account so they don't wait to make big mistakes when they're older. I think that's extremely valuable because kids learn by doing. You can't just tell them about the stock market and expect them to really get engaged. It's like, let's earn some money, let's open a, a small account for you, and let's let you pick a couple stocks or investment funds and see what it's like get your feet wet. And I think that's going to be the most valuable experience mm-hmm. for them.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. And then what age and how much would you say would be something you would start them off with for something like that?
1: Good question. I, I think that kids, kids can, my, you know, my 11 year old, he's almost 12. He really can be interested and in talk about investing and things like that. My 14 and 17 year old already have, and they've, mm-hmm. they've done some investment things on their own. My eight-year-old daughter uh, might be a little bit early with her. I'm not sure. So it's not something that I would ask her to really get deep into on her own, but dollar amounts. I mean, that's, that's really a personal thing up to you guys, uh, up to you as parents or whatever. But um, I, I think that you, you don't have to have a lots of lots of money to start. You, mm-hmm. know, you can start an account and have a hundred dollars in there mm-hmm. and it's going to be a lot more of a valuable experience than buying a bunch of toys for Christmas and birthdays and other things like that. I, I know that.
0: Yeah. No, it's, a, it's such a good idea and I appreciate it. And then you would, when a statement came in or how would you then have them track it or yeah. look at it?
1: So if the kid's old enough and has a phone and has an app, they can log in and, and learn about it. So if they're on Schwab or if they're on Vanguard or Fidelity, those are three popular There's Acorn, there's other companies that you could use as a beginner investor. Mm -hmm. And I would simply have your sit down with your kids and have them go through the app. I'd have them even call the 800 number with you on the phone Mm -hmm. and talk to a representative there and ask questions. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. let's Google some questions about investing that we could ask this company that we're putting a little bit of money into. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have a Roth IRA for a kid that earns some money, put it in an investment account, talk to the kid about researching, talk to your child about researching investments and let them have fun with it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, even if they make horrible decisions and the investment goes from $100 to $30, you know what? Mm -hmm. They're going to learn lessons that will last them a lifetime.
0: Mm -hmm. Well said. Now, John Maxwell said, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went, as you say in your book. So how do we teach our children how to make and follow a budget—a word that you, in your own book, say is not one of the ones that's very well received—and then how do we have them ask themselves, "Do I have money for this?"
1: So first and foremost, how to teach your kids to be responsible with budgeting and cash flow planning mm-hmm. is by example. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is we we don't teach our kids about money. That's pretty much what we believe, but actually. We teach them everything about money by our examples. They're watching us. They're seeing the way we swipe the card. They see us click the Amazon and the box shows up on the porch. They hear us talk about money. They hear us disagree and argue about money. They hear us complain and stress about money. So we're teaching them whether we like it or not. And when it comes to budgeting and planning, I think it's very important how we talk about money in our families. So if it's a source of contention all the time, and we're always stressed that we don't have enough, that scarcity mentality will stick with kids forever. I have clients who are in their seventies who have multi, multi, multi millions that we're investing and they still have that scarcity, nervous, we're gonna run out because that's what they were raised with. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard to break. So number one, think about how you're already teaching them about budgeting and money, how you spend money. Are you impulsive? Are you irresponsible or are you thoughtful? I don't think you should be telling kids we can't afford this, we can't afford that, we can't afford this, we can't afford that because it's gonna drive it into their heads that there's scarcity. But Mm -hmm. you can have conversations say, that's a great idea. Wouldn't that be fun to buy? Wouldn't that be great to go there? Let's figure out a way of how we can afford that. Let's talk about some ways that we can earn some extra money or let's think about some options for us to maybe cut back a little bit in one area so we can go buy that or go experience that, something that's fun that we really wanna do as a family. So it starts with the conversation approach and the attitudes around our own budget that we can really make an impact on our kids. Mm -hmm. And, and with that topic, I think we can start kids as young as three, four, and five. Like Mm -hmm. we talk to our little one about the most, when you're going to the grocery store, you can have a conversation. He says, Hey, let's, let's get all these candy bars or something. You can have a conversation about intentional financial planning Mm -hmm. and the most basic level and say, We're gonna we we saved up money and we're gonna buy these things and maybe next time we'll save up money and we'll buy that. Just the simplest conversation, and yet he walks away having a little a little more confidence about how money works. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a lot of these words that we talk about, it's nice to be able to boil them down, just as you were just saying. So, how would we fairly quickly explain? some of these sort of tougher words that kind of just sound like jargon, to be honest with you. So we talked about investing. What about, what's a portfolio?
1: Yeah. So a a portfolio is just like a backpack of all of your investments. So all of your investments are in one backpack. Let's say all of your supplies, all your school stuff is in one backpack. All of your investments are in a backpack and the backpack is called the portfolio. That's everything combined together. So if you own real estate, if you own stocks, if you own retirement funds, if you own a private business, all these things combined together is what we would call a portfolio.
0: What is an interest rate?
1: So an interest rate is what is paid to someone who lends money. So as an investor, you can lend money to companies or governments, and they will pay you an interest rate. So that's you're going to get your money back plus something. And the interest is the plus something. If you borrow money, when you borrow money for a car or college or a house, you're going to pay back what you borrow, the total amount, plus something. And that plus something is the interest rate.
0: Okay. What is earnings?
1: So earnings is essentially any way that you can bring in money that you didn't have before. So earnings can come from investments. Earnings can come from your work. Earnings can come from starting a business and having something pay you. Earnings can come from having a YouTube channel where there's paid ads and there's money coming in just because you recorded a good video years ago. Mm. So earnings is any money that's coming into your life that wasn't there before.
0: And then how does that compare with income?
1: So income, I would say, it, I don't think it's, we might be splitting hairs. It's pretty, pretty much the same thing. Income might more be related to working income.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And earnings, I would say, tends to be inclusive of more investment related things.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. That was nice to have a little like definition yeah. you know, scenario there. Okay. Now you talk about taxes, which I, I it's interesting because I don't feel like taxes are explained to children often. and And then I'll be talking to teenagers and they're talking about their first job and they are always aghast about <laughs> yeah. how much is first taken paycheck. out of their first paycheck. Like this girl... <laughs> down the street was telling me I got my first paycheck, I had no idea how much I had to pay out for taxes. Just completely surprised with wide eyes and just just shocked. So what are the top three things we should be teaching kids about taxes? And how do we even like explain what that is, what the concept is?
1: My kids will never be shocked by taxes. <laughs> <laughs> because I, li- I share this in the book, but I literally will take a bite of their dinner or dessert
0: their first, their
1: first bite, not just bite. I will take their first bite and just remind them that this is taxes that they're paying. So it's a, it's a win-win for parents. I highly <laughs> recommend it. <laughs> I, I, um, I shared in a video cause this just happened like a month ago, but I took a huge first bite of my six year old son's chocolate cake at a restaurant for taxes, of course. And he, he kind of had a meltdown and my wife gave me a look like, really, Chad, do you really have to always do this? And he puts his fist on the table and says out loud, loud enough for people around us at the other tables to hear. And he says, I am sick of taxes. (laughs) It was like the funniest thing because this little six-year-old kid just blurting out how frustrated he is with his taxes. But my kids won't be shocked by it. I, I think Teaching them that it's something to consider. So when they save up money to buy an item at a store, it's not going to cost $99.99. It's going to cost more than $100. Uh, When you earn money, you're not going to keep every single dollar you earn. There are a lot of taxes and deductions that come out of that. Those are two things you've got to teach them. Number three is if they ever get into a situation where they're investing or creating a business, there are ways to be strategic and to be smart about tax planning. So some decisions you make will have a big impact on how much taxes you pay when you sell a house eventually, or when you sell an investment or the way you're earning money, you can make smart decisions that will reduce your taxes. Totally legal, but just very smart, but it takes preparation. So I just think it's, it's too, it's unfortunate that kids get out of high school and they're shocked and unprepared when they've got to file taxes and pay taxes. And it's just, you know, it's something that they were never taught. And so mm-hmm. I think it's really important to have these conversations when they're young.
0: Mm-hmm. Now we're getting to the end of our interview. So I want to make sure I ask you some final questions. One of them that we didn't touch on was giving. And I know that your family is very involved in giving. And and so the idea of, of saving our money, spending our money, you know, is, is something that I think a lot of people talk about. And giving is always something that is important, but can be a tough concept for a child at times where they're like, wait a second, this money just came in. Why would I give it to somebody else? So how do, how do we explain that concept of, of giving to a child and that there is a major reward that comes with that?
1: It's a good question. It's not easy. I think the earlier you teach your children about giving and sharing, the better. Mm -hmm. I think it's a big difference in kids that learn how to share at a young age versus kids that have been taught that everything is theirs and only theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, I I believe that letting them experience giving and sharing is more valuable than just having them donate money. So Mm -hmm. what we've tried to do is get our kids to see the impact of it. So on Thanksgiving and Christmas time, we will actually go to specific places and serve food to homeless people or to people that are in desperate need of food. And we'll go to, we'll wrap the presents and we'll deliver the presents. We will go, we went to a place recently and had, we filled up grocery carts with turkeys and other things like that. And the families who were coming to collect those meals for Thanksgiving, like we actually looked them in the eyes and we helped push the shopping carts to their cars and unload them. Mm-hmm. That's a big impactful thing for kids to see, wow, there are p- I, I may not think I have everything, but there are people who have a lot less and need a lot more. And mm-hmm. it just teaches them to be a, a better community citizen, a better person that that sees the world as a bigger place than just their own, know their own life and I think that's that's critical when it comes to an abundance mindset Mm -hmm. the the clients that we work with are higher income and higher net worth families who in some way shape or form have always been generous and have always been giving and I think that that mindset saying I'm not going to run out there's enough to go around I'm going to share and I'm going to give and so I, I like I my advice would be have kids doing things that teach them sharing and giving and have them experience it firsthand, have them do something that is with the receiver so that they can gain that appreciation a lot more.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Thank you for that. Give us your top tip. What do you want people to come away with after listening to this podcast or reading your book about how to teach kids about money?
1: My top tip would be start making money a comfortable, conversation topic in your family. If you're a, a parent, a coach, a teacher, a grandparent, a mentor of any kind, make it a point to have regular conversations about money. You might even pick a specific time of the week or, or date of the month and say, this is when we're going to talk about money. And here are some topics. And I hopefully you, you get enough out of the book or any other resources that you have specific topics and ideas you can share. But kids are ready to learn. These kids are smart. They have more resources at their fingertips than we ever had. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to be a little bit intentional. We've got to actually take that time. And the seeds that we plant will grow into something much greater. It's going to pay dividends down the road if we just take the time and have regular financial conversations with with the young people in our life.
0: Absolutely. I agree with that. And give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and the work you're doing?
1: Sure. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a place where you can find me. And then pacificcapital.com is another place. That's our company website. And we have pacificcapital.com slash smart, not spoiled, where there are a lot of book resources, topics, and links that you can go into and have these conversations with kids.
0: Excellent. Thank you for that. And just thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciated your scripts, your strategies, how accessible you're making this important conversation and this conversation that as I said in the beginning of the of the interview can be felt uh, to be a taboo or tough to talk about. So, thank you for breaking it down for us and making it easier to engage in these conversations. My pleasure.
1: It's important to me.
0: Thank you. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com, twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Robin Silverman, and I'm also on LinkedIn. And I will be going back and forth with Chad Willardson to talk about these important concepts. I'll be putting his phrases that he said so eloquently on this podcast onto memes so that we can share them. I know how much you love to do that. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about these outstanding solutions, strategies, see scripts, and use them in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this, you're here, and you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Perhaps you heard something today and you said, I haven't had this conversation. I messed up this conversation. I shut down this conversation. Don't worry. You can have this conversation again. You can have it today. You can have it tonight. You can have it tomorrow. But just have the conversation. Go back and say, I I want to have this conversation again. I don't feel like I answered you completely. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're a 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you